0: This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotsenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fancy Bleed Two-Tone Blue.
1: To two-tone
0: uncensored. Hello and welcome to Tone Nation. I'm your host Ryan Morland. Along with me tonight, my partner in crime and the conductor of the hype train, Glenn Latsenheiser. How you doing, Glenn?
2: Oh man, the hype train is busy, busy, busy. All of a sudden, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah, everybody's getting excited now. It's that time of season, man. It's it's everybody's ready. I'm ready, man. I just um, man,
2: I just need some football right now.
0: <laughs> I hear you there matt's not going to be with us tonight he couldn't make it but in his place we have benjamin scott host of rpo podcast formerly of mcm how you doing ben
1: man i'm doing great fellas how y'all doing tonight
0: great man excited to have you on
1: yeah i'm excited to be on i think we had a couple of y'all on uh on mcm radio back in the day when brandon and i were hosting it and we'll have to get you on rpo here pretty soon but it's uh yeah nice to, to join in your flavor and uh and talk a little bit of Titans, I was telling you before the show, we're coming off like about a three week or month hiatus, so I will warn the, the audience, if I'm slightly rusty, forgive me just a little bit, but uh, we actually have some Titans news to talk about.
0: No, that's the best part, is there's finally something to talk about. <laughs> also joining us though, another guest on here, Hall of Fame member, Tyler Musson, who was actually at the training camp this week, so we're going to talk to him about that, how you doing Tyler?
3: I'm doing good. Actually, just walked into the house from a long drive back from Nashville. So, a little tired, but I got a lot of room to talk some Titans.
0: All right. Excited to have you on, man. Let's get into it here. Uh, We're going to start off by picking Tyler's brain a little bit, asking him what he saw uh, at training camp this week, what he noticed. First thing, Tyler, I want to start it off. It's the one guy we've all been talking about. It's Kevin Dodd. His future, you know, with this team has been called into question a lot by fans, and rightfully so after last season. What did you see from him so far since he's been back?
3: Quite honestly, Kevin Dodd was actually one of the guys I was watching the closest, you know, with all the all the things coming up, you know, about him and a repetitive injury. If you hadn't known that Kevin Dodd had an injury that lasted the entire season, you definitely couldn't tell here at the the second practice of 2017. To me, he was playing in the fitting image of what we saw, him versus Detroit. He was riding his blocker really good, just enough to spring loose on the ball carrier. And actually, what uh, some guy that was below me in the stands, I actually said, I was like, you know, those same moves are going to be the ones that make all those guys that are tagging him with the bus tag, they're going to make them wet the bed. I think he's going to be a healthy replenishment of Arakbo and Derek Morgan. And quite honestly, I think he's going to be the Tennessee Titan comeback player of the year. Just from what I saw on day two. I hope
2: so. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs>
1: we were so excited, I think, in the preseason last year for General Dodd. You know, Neil before Dodd, it was going to be a big thing we're really relying on him to sort of provide some depth on that pass rush. And, you know, it, it didn't happen. The foot injury is worrisome for a guy that's as big as he is, but you know, uh, if, if he's looking 100% healthy, sort of coming back and and he's dealing day to day with the rigors of putting all that weight and putting all that stress on his foot uh, after the reoccurring, the reoccurrence of the injury and the multiple surgeries that he's had on it. I mean, that would be absolutely huge for us. Because he has as much raw talent as anybody that was in the draft last year in terms of his pass rush ability. you know We just didn't necessarily get to see that. So maybe a year in the classroom with Dick LeBeau and uh, uh, you know, a, a little bit of getting used to the NFL game, he's got to hit the ground running. I mean, I know the bus label is already being sort of thrown around out there. It's a little bit unfair, a little bit early for that. But he really needs to contribute this year if this defense is going to take a step forward.
3: Also, there was one more thing I also noticed. He's seeming to play – you know, it's one thing to recover from an injury like that and come back and play at average speed, you know, what, you, what you're what you used to playing at. It seems like he's playing a lot faster, too. He seemed kind of top-heavy a little bit last year. He seems a lot lot more agile and, you know, Brian Arakto-like in terms of agility.
0: Yeah, the other thing, too, bringing in Walden, it's going to put a lot more pressure on Dodd to perform, so... Hopefully he's yeah. living up to what you're seeing so far, Tyler. But moving on to the next thing, uh, earlier I talked to you, and you had some very good things to say about our pair of young rookie wide receivers. What did you like and take away from Davis and Taylor the other day?
3: Well, from from Davis, for a guy that's, that was picked fifth overall, he's sure living up to, to what we see on the scope. He has automatic hands, and his route running – I can see why we picked him at fifth overall. I can see why, you know, some people say we reached. Well, you know what? We reached for the right receiver because this guy, he's, he's making outstanding plays. He and Adoree Jackson went up for the first time, and Corey beat him pretty good. Taywan Taywan is going to be one of those gems that actually, if J-Rob decided to go a different way with that fifth overall, And, you know, not end up taking a wide receiver in the first round. Taewon could have been one of those picks that he got later to make him look like a genius. Because Taewon sure looked like a wide receiver one, in my opinion. He has just absolutely great hands. He's a great route runner. And he has absolutely stupid cuts. I've seen him go up against Adoree. It was a run play, but he broke Adoree's ankles on one play, which makes me wonder what he's going to be able to do in the slot versus a lot of these AFC
1: South corners. I mean, I think when it comes to to Taiwan, I like a lot of what I've I've seen. I haven't gotten a chance to get out there in person. I should over the next few days to to see some of the practices, but just watching some of the live streams and reading some of the reports from from folks who have been there. I mean, it's certainly all really good to hear. It, It sounds like, you know, he's really got a shot at sort of unseating Tajay who had sort of a bumpy off season. You know, if he's fallen out of favor, if, if Tajay's sort of taking his eye off the ball, I love the idea that, that Taiwan would be able to step in and contribute but not be expected to carry a starter's load. Because the big thing for me is, look, I think Corey Davis has the size and the wingspan and everything to handle some of these bigger DBs in the NFL that will get up inside of him, put their hands on him, and jam him at the line and really disrupt the timing of the play. That's going to be a much bigger challenge, I think, for Taylor. That's not something that he faced a lot of, at Western Kentucky. Uh, his athleticism lends itself to look really good in preseason and in training camp. I'm very interested to see what happens with live bullets. What guys are knocking him off his spot and he's not able to get to where he's supposed to be.
2: That that was the exact same concern I had with him was that he's quicker than he is fast on the field. He's got great agility and great acceleration, but I'm just, I'm curious to see how it translates at the NFL level against a whole different type of cornerback. And, you know, he, he's not going to run past people at the next level unless he makes a great move to get there first. One thing I do like is that both of these young receivers are good route runners. I mean, that's, that's Corey Davis's hallmark. He's a tall, fast receiver, but he runs incredible routes. And the same thing with Taylor. He runs great routes. He's got good hands. That's going to make the biggest difference on them being on the field and earning Marcus's trust.
0: The one thing I saw, too, I wanted to comment on is one of the videos that I saw at training Camp Corey Davis, you know, shakes right off of the line of scrimmage, you know, on the right sideline and goes and he, I mean, he takes off and you're thinking of like, for sure it's a go route, you know, he's just taken off and then he gets 10 yards down the field and he makes a cut so clean. And so even if you're playing a physical corner, if he gets that separation initially, there's no way that's guardable. I mean, his cut was so fast and so unseen. I watched it several times cause I was like, wow, you can't run that route better. I mean, he was, it was so perfect that unless you had great contact and stayed with him through the whole thing, that is an unguardable cut. There's no way that you'd be able to come back in time if it's thrown well.
3: Look, I saw one today, LaShawn was playing him. It was their practice today. LaShawn was playing him. You, you couldn't get any tighter on Corey Davis as, as LaShawn was. And Corey just had the awareness and the fight for the ball to, it, it looked like it was either a guaranteed interception or at the least a batted-down ball. And Corey fought, and he won it with his overall awareness in the end zone. That, I think, is going to be key with Corey Davis.
1: Yeah, but LaShawn Sims has got the instincts of Helen Keller. I'm sorry, <laughs> in my opinion. He, does, he doesn't get his head around to find the ball. He reminds me of Ronaldo Hill back in the day. Ronaldo Hill was around every wide receiver that he was asked to cover, never got his head around and put his hands on a ball. So, I, but, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's training camp, and Dick LeBeau is one of the best, so hopefully he comes along. But, you know, when right. you guys talking about the precision and the route running and the, and the physical ability of these guys. That's, to me, one of the most exciting things that Rubitsky has brought, and you can tell it's definitely a big uh, point of emphasis from Malarkey. Marcus is such a machine. And so good at knowing exactly the timing of the play, where the open spot's supposed to be, and getting it to that open spot before the guy has even you know, made his break or beaten the defender that's guarding him. Their emphasis on finding guys who can get off the line and run their route correctly and get where they're supposed to be, as opposed to your Doriel Green-Beckham physical freak types who would be like you know Mettenberger who can't hit the broadside of a barn but can just chuck it up there. Uh, I think that's one of the smartest changes they've done over the past two years and it's just going to keep reaping benefits. If they find guys like Richard Matthews, not a physical freak, but a guy who just gets there when he's supposed to be there and gets it and you know, makes, it, makes the catch.
2: Yeah, if you can get any separation and be on your spot, Marcus is going to hit you with the ball. Uh, you know, so that, that, that part is taken care of. The uh, play that Tyler was talking about with uh, Sims, my only problem with that play, and you know, I, I watched the video, it's on Facebook, it's on the group page. As soon as the ball snapped... Sims immediately had to turn his hips and run in order to keep up with Corey Davis. And all Davis had to do is exactly what Ryan just mentioned, is stop and turn around. And that it it was so easy for him to beat that route that Sims was on. It's just it was a go route and it was going deep. That's the only reason why Sims was still in that play at that point. And I, I was a, a fan of Sims and his ability to mirror uh, going into last off season. offseason. The, turning the head, as Ben mentioned, is a problem for me. He did a better job. I think that part of this play, you know, it's training camp, so you're going to keep your eye on the quarterback better. But he did a much better job than I've seen him do in the past of watching the quarterback and keeping track of where the ball's going to be at. So he could challenge Corey Davis on that go route. But his eyes were not on Corey Davis. So Corey Davis could do whatever he wanted to him and would have been wide open. Yeah, He was counting on the sideline to help you know, keep Corey from coming back in on him. All Corey had to do was put on the brakes and turn. And the ball was his because there's no way Sims was going to be able to turn and get back to challenge that ball as sharp as Corey Davis runs those routes.
0: Well, that go route in the end zone that Corey Davis, you know, thrown up, Sims played that ball really well. He got the tip. He tipped it away. The problem was, is he didn't tip it far enough away. And Corey Davis is a freak of nature and snagged it out of the out of the sky. When you know, I watched that play, I was like, both guys did exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, Corey Davis ran a good route. Sims mirrored him and stayed with him. Sims made a play on the ball. He just didn't get enough of the ball. And and after the tip, Corey Davis was able to snag it out of the air. There's not a lot of wide receivers that are going to make that play though.
2: Yeah, and you know, and so yeah. Talk, we've talked about Sims. What did you guys see from the other guys, like Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson? You know, th- Those are the guys that everybody really wants to know about.
3: Adoree Jackson, the biggest thing with him that's fresh to see is speed in the secondary. His hips have gotten a lot better than I gave him credit for. And, but his ability to turn and sprint with the receiver – that's great because he has that, and that's vital for his recovery speed. But the only thing with that is, we don't want a cornerback who is constantly having to do that every single play, because then you're getting beat at the line, and then you're opening yourself up for you know Antonio Brown over the top or or whatever, what have you. Parrish
0: Cox. He, uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Go look at the Green Bay Packer game and look at how many times Parrish Cox was thrown at covering Jordy Nelson and that's what we're that's the only thing that worries me about Ajax. He needs to clean up some of his technique. Am I worried that it won't happen, that he won't clean it all up? No, not at all. I I think Dick will work with him, but I think he's be the nickel guy covering the slot because, you know, whether we have convictions about LaShawn Sims turning his head around or not, he he got the better part of eighty percent of the first team reps. So that to me, at least for now, said to me Ajax is gonna be covering those speedy slot guys. Also, Sim seemed to keep up with the with Corey and actually Eric Decker several times, but it seemed like it was like overkill trying to keep up with him. So I don't know if that's a paradox kind of thing or if that's, you know, him just truly giving it his all Logan Ryan seemed, seemed everything that we signed him to be. You know, we signed him at a, a pretty decent contract. Uh, you know, he's going to be our number one. You know, people say he's going to be in the slot. He might move around here and there, but I think he is our number one guy. And, you know, any other Titan fan is going to say, well, he's probably the number one anyway. He he plays the inside of the receiver very well. I saw that when he matched up against Corey once. ball wasn't thrown. That direction is thrown to Decker, but Logan plays the inside of the receiver very well. It's just the way Logan Ryan puts himself in front of the receiver where it makes a over-the-top ball a little difficult. I don't want to say impossible, but that's definitely what you want to see in your number one, the ability to cover that and also the ability to shield the inside. So I think sky's the limit with Logan Ryan.
1: When they go 7-on-7 seven seven or 11-on-11, 11 11, what is the safety rotation looking like? Uh, I mean, on the RPO podcast, we're huge fans of Ciprian, hashtag uh, squad. I love that signing. I think he's going to bring a, a real physical presence to Dick is going to have a lot of fun with, set them up for sort of some three safety looks and have him sort of drop into the nickel and be kind of a linebacker safety hybrid. Are they starting to show a little bit of that yet, or are they still in kind of the baby steps of rolling things out?
3: The 7-on-7s seven they were doing. Actually, they did They did an 11-on-11 11 11 for a couple minutes where they had the, the first-team formations out there. Searcy was a single high, and then Cyprian would be where, what like what we drafted Jay on Brown to do, cover the damn tight ends. Cyprian was in that spot. So I think they're blending it all in, and I think you're going to see more Cyprian covering tight ends than, than you might actually think. But their shift, like they're moving them all over the place. So it's like, it's like within the first two days, they're getting a feel of okay, is Cyprian going to work best here, with Thierry back there. You know, it's just like a big blender basically. They're just trying to figure it out. But I did see Cyprian in that tight end cover role right.
0: Now. Let's uh, move on here. One of the things I definitely wanted to bring it up because you know you were sending me your notes and me and you were talking, Tyler. One thing definitely caught my eye because you had a lot of good stuff to say about Derrick Henry, but it's not the stuff I was expecting to see. You're expecting to see, you know, powerful runner. And you mentioned that kind of stuff, but there was one part that you were really high on, uh, and it wasn't Derrick Henry's running game, but catching the ball. You were talking about how good he looked uh, with his hands. Tell us more about that.
3: They did one-on-ones. They were doing all uh, running backs versus middle linebackers. Well, linebackers, forgive me. And Derrick Henry, I don't remember the linebacker he went up against. They were having him run an inside and then just a straight streak. Derrick, his added, he, you know, we've heard over the course of the, the offseason that he's been working on his speed and then he's found a, an extra year out of nowhere. Well, he's able to blow by linebackers now a lot faster than what we were able to see in the last year but in the off season it's like he was down in alabama and having somebody throw you know hit pop flies at him and he's catching them barehanded at full sprint he he has tremendous over over the head reach now it's now again that's two plays but you know that's I wouldn't have expected him to be able to do that last year. So whatever he's doing, you know, eating his Wheaties, taking his vitamins, drinking his milk, whatever the hell he's doing, it's, it's working with his catching ability. And I think he's going to be using a lot of screens this year.
1: Well, okay. Man, I can speak to that a little bit as well. Because this is one of the things that uh, we sort of cracked last year. Looking back at the draft after we had taken everybody, for anybody that listens to our show, I threatened to actually physically choke out my co-host, Dan Amite at the time if we drafted Derrick Henry because I thought we just had overkill at the running back spot and ended up eating my words on that one. And one of the things that I figured out diving through some of the research was that he didn't catch the ball at Alabama because they just never throw it to any running back that they've ever had in there under Nick Saban. Now, when the couple of times they did throw it to him, he performed very well and showed some nice hands. During the pro day at Alabama, they, were, they actually ran out of wide receivers for the quarterback drill. He jumped in there and didn't drop a single pass the entire time. So his uh, ability to catch the ball has actually been kind of an untapped resource that not many people know about. He just hasn't had a chance to display it. So I love the fact that, you know, hopefully being in the NFL weight room uh, with NFL trainers, you know, not necessarily losing weight, but adjusting his body to gain a little bit more explosiveness and, and speed – if he can take advantage of that in the passing game, dude, look out. Because like you said, if we can get a decent screen game going with all the deceptive things they can already do uh, with Marcus and his mobility and the versatility of the wide receivers uh, and, the, and the tight end group, I mean, nobody's going to have any idea what the hell's going on when we come up to the line.
0: Yeah, wow, Jalen Ramsey's already yeah. seen
2: what happens whenever Derrick Henry gets the ball rolling <laughs> down the field.
0: <laughs> I was going to say the exact yeah, and, same thing. And
2: <laughs> Derrick Henry's muscle
3: mass, it's only getting bigger. I mean, you'd think the human body would top out at, at, you know, some sort of a mass level, but he's only getting bigger. And I think, you know, the easiest time it was to tackle Derrick Henry, last year. So you couple all that with all the receivers we got now, Delaney, DeMarco, Spelling, Derrick when he needs it, and and the opposite as well. People aren't going to be able to get Derrick because Derrick's going to be left on – cornerbacks on the slot and he's just going to run over them and take their lunch month. I mean, Derek's going to be so big and so hard to tackle. And you couple that with an improved and a used pan game for him. It's crazy to think that he has to be on the bench. But, you know, that's we have the go. Yeah.
1: But Dude, he, he's such a battering ram where we're prone to saying he, he makes defenders make a business decision. When you see him coming through the yeah. hole and he's got a little bit of steam ahead, you got to decide if you're going to put your career
2: on the line trying to tackle this dude or if you're just going to dive <laughs> in his shoelaces. I would dive at his shoelaces. I'm bigger than him. I would dive <laughs> in his shoelaces. I don't want all that hitting me. Dude, that's, that's just a good business decision, man. You're keeping your earning potential. Hey, damn right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so speaking of business decisions and muscle mass, uh, how, how's Marcus looking? Because we, we know he's down a little bit weight off of uh, how he came into camp last year. I think we've all seen seen him running around a little bit, you know, online. But how how's he look in person, you know, as far as his, his scrambling, you know, how sharp he is with the ball? Any rust at all?
3: Marcus, that goes back to the Kevin Dodd thing. If, if you wouldn't have known Marcus had his ankle fallen on by a 7,000-pound defensive tackle and it broken, you would have never guessed it because he does not favor it. He does not. You know the coaches basically said, you know, you know, do what you will, whatever you want to do, go for it. I mean, I'm sure they're gonna hold back some things just for a hundred and fifty percent insurance he doesn't get hurt again. But he's not favoring anything, and it and his bootlegs. There's not a hesitation. You know, there's not like, okay, do I have to spin a certain way? Is it gonna hurt if I spin? You know, the opposite, whatever. He also scrambled. He scrambled twice. And that actually proved that it's not in his mind that durability is an issue. And that's actually really refreshing to see because a lot of quarterbacks, when they take injuries, they'll hesitate when scrambling, and they'll wait in the pocket too long and then sack, fumble, you know, hurt again, whatever. When he sees a lane and he knows that he can get it and go, he's doing it. And he did it. He did it the first time for a good game, and the second time about a four- or five-yard game. So – as far as, uh, you know, him being rusty, you know, he's shaking off the cobwebs a little bit with, you know, full team go, but he threw one pick, and, oh, no, actually, correct me, he didn't throw any picks the day that I was there. I thought it was Mariota, but it was Matt he Castle. He hasn't
1: thrown one yet. He hasn't thrown one yet yeah. from, what I've, from uh, the reports I've heard. Yeah,
3: I thought, at first I thought it was Mariota, but uh, someone told me that it was Matt Castle actually i'm more excited to see about how less he's going to have to scramble because of all these excellent receivers we have because a lot you know you think back to 2015 season he pumped up a lot of rushing numbers because we didn't have the receivers to get open you know we had dorio we had Kendall when he was healthy and we didn't have the receivers, when he was having to take off more and more but now i think He's going to be scrambling a little bit less just because he's going to be able to stand there two seconds. Boom, Davis. Boom, Decker. So on and so on. I think he's ready to go. But I think the coaches are going to pull him back just a tad, you know, just to make sure there's nothing that goes wrong.
0: I did actually hear that he did throw one yesterday. but the very this is his next, first red zone. Yeah, but the very next play he threw a long touchdown pass. So, I mean, he came back strong. Fake, fake news.
3: As long as he's not throwing five interceptions, like, like a certain quarterback in Florida, <laughs>
0: I'm I'm fine. I knew hey, it had Baltimore. to come up eventually, man. That was, hoof. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah.
0: My favorite part of that is two of those interceptions went to Tyler Patman. And for those who don't know that name, he couldn't make our practice squad.
3: Right. This is true. Yeah. It, it took me a minute to remember mm. who the hell he was. And when you said something, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And I looked him up. I'm like, oh yeah, that <laughs> that dude. One real quick thing um, that I also saw. I think my favorite right now. You know, I I would actually bet money on it. Talfani Muhammad looks like he might be our kick returner. And Adori, Love that dude. Adori people people who think Adori isn't going to be returning punts. You know, they say, say Eric Wing or you know, someone else, you know, down the wide receiver depth chart. I don't think that's gonna happen at all. I think we learned the night of the draft it wasn't gonna happen because what John Robinson said to Ajax was, Can't wait for you to get in this division and lock these receivers down and return these punts for touchdowns. So that kind of sells down sells down the river what's what's on the agenda, at least until disproven is Adore Dory Jackson the punt returner. But Calfani Mohammed Is getting a lot of work on the kickoff return.
0: That's good for us, too. You don't want to work out Jackson too much. You don't want to be in a position where he's getting too many reps and wearing himself out, getting injured, that kind of thing. So definitely something that's good. But thanks for coming on, man. A lot of good information there.
3: No problem, man. Not a problem at all.
0: All right, another big thanks to Tyler Musson for coming on the show with us. All right, guys, let's jump into the mailbag here. First question from Hall of Famer Josh Pryor. What are the three most important non-divisional games on our schedule this season?
1: Let's see, I'll take, a, I'll take first stab at it. I mean, the, the divisional games kind of mean everything, I think, for us going into this year, but if i got to pick one out of division game, it's a toss-up to me between the Raiders and the Seahawks. I'll go with the Seahawks game. Yeah, you know, Raiders. Obviously, week one you want to get started off on the right foot. Uh, that's obviously a big one. But uh, the Seahawks game is the kind of game that I think this team's got to win if they're going to take that that next step forward. Uh, I've been saying over and over again this offseason the difference between you know two wins and nine wins is much smaller than the difference between nine wins and eleven or twelve wins. That is a canyon to try and cross, and it's taking care of teams that like those West Coast teams that have killed us, like the Seahawks. Uh, that are going to make a difference if we're going to take that step.
2: Yeah, I can't possibly argue with that. That's, that's the same game I was looking at. You know, the, the Raiders as the opening week, that's a big deal, but that's when we can make back up. It is, however, in our conference, so it, it makes it a big game. The, the Seahawks is kind of more of that level. This is where we're at. And for that same kind of reason, I'll go ahead and say the Steelers, uh, November 16th. That's going to be a huge game for us. You're, everybody's tuned up for the playoffs at that point. So you're going to get everybody's best shot because if we've been winning like we expect to win, you know everybody's going to see us coming this year. There's not, not going to be a single team that goes, oh, it's the Titans, we'll be all right. That's not going to happen now. Every, we, they saw what we can do last year. They saw us load up on offense. They, they, know, they know we're coming. So when we get to the Steelers, we're going to have a pretty good idea of how good our team is but when we play the Steelers in Pittsburgh, we're going to find out on Thursday night, is this team playoff ready or not? Because we, we may be going to the playoffs regardless, but that game is going to tell us a lot about our chances once we get there.
0: Yeah, I, the three I went with week one against the Raiders, these two teams are seen as kind of the, the two up and coming in the in the AFC as a whole. You know, the two that could possibly in the future – you know dismantle uh, the the Patriots or you know at least contend with them uh, beating them week one will show people where we actually stand and I know that doesn't really matter that much you know it doesn't matter what they think of you if you're winning football games but also just on a personal note it'll be a nice revenge for the last two years it sucks losing these games to Oakland in tight ball games uh, you know I want to get one week 11 Steelers you know in Pittsburgh Thursday night just like Glenn was saying this is a really good AFC football team, a regular Super Bowl contender, a regular in the playoffs. This is a really good football team. So if we can compete and you know possibly beat this team, you know the whole nation's going to be watching. This is going to be the big eye opener. If we win this game is, you know, it's not the oh the Titans are an up and coming team. It's oh the Titans can make playoff runs. If they're beating teams of this caliber, they can make playoff runs. And then the last one I actually I thought about the Seahawks but I actually went away with it because I personally think the Seahawks take a big step back this year. Just because they have their offensive line's nasty. I mean it's ugly. You know, most people rating it as the worst offensive line in the league and I tend to agree with that. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals week 14. As long as Carson Palmer's healthy, this is going to be a really competitive team. I mean, you remember in 2015 when he's on the field, this is a good team. They're going to have a good defense as they always do. With DJ there and Carson Palmer, if he's healthy, again, that's going to be a very potent offense as well. Also, very late in the year, so it could have playoff implications for us. We kind of have an easy stretch those last four games. This is probably going to be the one to watch out of those last four games. Hopefully, uh, you know, everything goes smooth. We went out those last four games, and the playoffs are just, you know, getting to the playoffs is just a breeze for us. If the Seahawks are better than I expect, you know, if – Carson Palmer goes down, then obviously that's the third game. But really, I think it comes down, and I, and I don't know if you guys agree or not, I really think it comes down to two huge games, and in my opinion. That's the Raiders and the Steelers. And both of them, I want to try to get wins there, obviously. But both are going to be tough games.
2: Yeah, no question. I, you can't go into either one of those no games
0: thinking you got this. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Chris Flint asks, we see these difficult agencies to, to work with, like Corey Davis's agent, who was also the agent of Joey Bosa last year. Does that impact a general manager's desire to draft certain players? And also, to add to that, uh, could it hinder future decisions on prospects represented by that agency? No,
1: no. The, the NFL, especially now with the salary slotting system, I mean, the holdouts are extremely rare. Uh, this is a baseball. You know, you could really play hardball, get a team bidding against itself. I just don't think agents matter all that much in the NFL right now, and I don't think it's going to necessarily hinder, hinder someone in the way that it can in baseball or in uh, basketball, where, you know, they, they could really hold out and do some damage uh, because of the, the the birth they're given under their CBA. The NFL it's too codified. I mean, Corey Davis was the last one to sign, and he didn't even really miss anything that was significant. You know, Bosa was a little bit of an outlier last year. Titans have a really weird history of letting their first-round picks be uh, some of the last guys to sign, waiting until the beginning of August to to get them in there. It usually has to do with the offset language. I just just don't think it's that big of a deal.
2: Obviously, we have something in our our language that these players are bulking at. But really, the offset kind of language, that should only bother a player if he's afraid to bet on himself. If you believe that you're going to play for four years, those offsets will never come into play. It will be an issue. If you're going to go yeah, surfboarding with sharks, okay. But you had that coming. Isn't
1: Blaine Gabbert like the only player for whom offset language has mattered?
2: Pretty much, if I'm
1: not mistaken, he's he's the only one where that's been like activated when he got cut and you know ended up with a uh, with the 49ers.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's not going to happen to a first round pick very often. They're going to give you your chances to make it. Very rare does that ever kick in there. My my thing is is if you're a an NFL GM, if you've risen to that level and you're scared of negotiating with an agent in a time where the contracts are as simple as this, you shouldn't be a GM. You, you're a damn coward, you know, because there's just not that much to talk about. You know, the Joey Bosa thing is the longest we've seen it go, and he he missed more time than he should have, but it's also the Chargers. They're known for being dicks about this stuff. The, the, the Titans, it always yeah. seems to be off-the-field activities. The Chargers were screwing with his money and when he could get his money. They didn't want to pay him right away. With, with the Titans, I don't think it's ever been about the money. I think it's about certain you know exclusions, like you cannot ride a motorcycle, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. If that happens, we have this as our recovery and our safety fallback for it. That's the kind of offset language that I think the Titans are dealing with.
0: Personally, for me, I think it's something they've built a reputation enough that it's something that the GM's probably going to know going into the draft, but ultimately it's not going to change his mind. You know, really, just ask yourself: Would you rather have a semi-difficult negotiation with a great player, or pass on him for the guy that's going to sign easy? That's not as good. The only way that this ever comes into a general manager's mind is if he has two guys that he has rated exactly the same, and wants and needs exactly the same, and then you'd be like, "All right, well, this guy's going to be easier to sign. We'll just we'll grab him since they're exactly the same." But that you're never going to be in that in that uh, scenario ever. So, no, it doesn't affect. Um, it might be. I think it will be something the general manager knows. It'll be in the back of his head maybe, but that's not going to stop him from taking the best available guy. You know? You're know, you not going to pass on someone you think is the best fit for someone that's going to be easier to negotiate with.
2: Yeah, I had the exact same written
1: the down. Only, the, only thing, the, the only thing that I think could sort of change the game on that is when we finally have a player and an agent who team up and say they're not going to sign until they get a fully guaranteed contract. Then you could see that agent suffer some kind of blackball-ish repercussions The teams not wanting to work with him, teams not wanting to give him business, all that sort of stuff. But the reality is the the market is way too set in the NFL. There's not that much wiggle room in terms of contracts, and the agents just don't have to do that much. I
2: was going to say, you're not going to see that stance with a rookie. It's just you don't have the power. All you can do is – wait for another year and come back in the draft, and your draft stock is going to fall because you didn't play football for a year. So you don't don't have the power as a rookie to force that negotiation. Now, I've brought this up a couple times on our show that I think we are headed for, if not a holdout, some kind of a big event happening with these guys. I don't think these players are going to wait for the next CBA to come around before they start demanding Fully guaranteed contracts. The CBA doesn't preclude them from having one. Just no one's ever been able to force a team to sign that. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. He- he's going to push in that direction. I don't think he's going to get the money yeah. he wants, but I bet he gets a fully guaranteed contract when it you know when it comes time. Uh, guys, you know, talk about that NBA money. Like Le'Veon Bell is screwing himself because the team can sign him for less than he's wanting for the next two years. And at that point in time, you're looking at a 30-year-old running back, you know, or, or I think a 28- or 29-year-old running back at that point. You know, he's, he's already spent his best years playing for them. And then if he wants to play hardball, you're a running back. They can replace you no matter how good you are. He's, he's playing his cards the wrong way. A guy like Odell Beckham, he's going to have to work really hard on that. A quarterback is going to be the guy that gets that first huge, 100% guaranteed contract. And it, it may be a guy... It and it may be a guy like Kirk Cousins, you know, who's gonna hit that free agent market eventually, where he's easily better than you know, three quarters of the quarterbacks that are playing and starting in the league. When he hits free agent, that's when we're gonna see that test of can this player who's shown to be a, a very painful negotiator. You know, the the contracts he's refusing from Washington, most guys would have taken already. So I'm really curious to see if he's well, the one who takes that stance. If
1: he, I mean, he's, he's playing under a second-year franchise tag. If they franchise him one more time, he'll have played three years. Now, guaranteed just year to year. But he will have played three years and made, like, over $50 million. I mean, You, he'll you can five, only do it twice.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, no, I
1: think in the, it's the, a transition tag. It's the third year. The third year. Like, yeah. Yeah, the third year is a transition tag, where it's, like, 150% of the, yeah. the franchise total or something like that. I mean, it's, a, it's absolutely absurd that any team would pay that much for a quarterback, especially, you know, one that's not Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers.
2: Yeah, it, it's I. I yeah. Th- I'm That's the thing I'm most looking forward to about next season, not Titans related, is to see what happens with the Redskins and their salary cap when mm-hmm. he refuses to sign again.
0: Well, the one thing too with this is everybody keeps reporting the big money that you know the contract they're throwing at him, but they're guaranteeing like 28, percent you know, 32, 30. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not guaranteeing enough to get him to sign. You know, that's yeah, that's they're,
2: what's they're what's
0: hedging happening. their bets. Right, and then that's. The team should try to do that. Obviously, you want to try to get, um, be able to put the weapons around him uh, to make him successful, to make the team successful, ultimately win a championship. But you have, to, you're going to have to to get ho- way higher than that. You're probably going to have to at least guarantee sixty percent. I mean, at least.
2: Yeah, it's it's going to work out that way. You know, the thing is, is if he hits free agency, he's going to Andrew Luck some team, and they're going to give him so much money they can't put a team around him.
0: That's what I'm waiting for. I think that, like, the Redskins in their mind, like, obviously they want the best team possible. Like, any other team, they want to win Super Bowls, like, whatever. But I also feel like there's a small piece, like, back in the owner's mind that's like, man, I hope he has a shit year. Like, I hope he just, like, is garbage. (laughs) And, and, like, if we decide to sign him, we'll get him for, like, half the price that we could (laughs) have, you know, last year. But let's move on here. Next question, guys. Dawson Leverett asked this one. Who finishes this season as the Titans' most productive wide receiver? This one's a tough one. We're going to stick strictly wide receiver. Uh,
1: I mean, I'll probably say Rashard. I think he's going to be kind of the steady steady Eddie, uh, Derek Mason type. I think Corey Davis probably has more highlights. I think he's the guy we're most excited about by, by the end of the season. But I think Rashard probably ends up leading the way. I still think Delaney Walker is going to be the most productive pass
2: catcher on this team. He certainly could be. Uh, yeah, I'm curious – I, I'm torn because I have the same thoughts about Richard that you do before Eric Decker came to the team. Uh, if Eric Decker sure. could put those injuries behind him, I think he presents that big red zone target that Marcus just, you know, he dumps the ball over there because he knows he's going to go get it. The reports that I'm hearing from camp is that they've already shown some chemistry, but he's got chemistry with, I think any receiver who runs his route properly, Marcus has chemistry with you. I I, I think that Decker ends up being the guy as long as he, he can prove that he's really healthy and can stay that way. Oh, yeah, God, I you was... know
1: how much Nashville will fall in love with a big white wide receiver?
2: <laughs> we, we've said it several times.
0: It'd be, it'd be Drew Bennett all over again. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> we had Drew on the show just last week. He's awesome.
0: This one, for me, was a kind of a loaded question, because if I'm going – if everyone wants to hear Corey Davis off the bat, first off. Um, but if I'm going yardage and – Probably targets. I'm probably going to pick the easy bet, the safe money, and I'm going with Rashad Matthews. If I'm going touchdowns, then I'm leaning towards Decker. You know, because of how good he is in the red zone, how good Marcus is in the red zone, I expect that to be a pretty prolific tandem. But I also, I'm also looking at, you know, Rashad is the only guy that's coming in that knows the system. That's probably going to be in our top, what, you know, four wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at the only guy that has experience in the system. It's going to come down to how comfortable Marcus is. I think Rashard Matthews does a great job of getting open like we talked about earlier. I think you're going to see him get the most targets. I think you're going to see him probably get the most yards as well. I think you're not going to see him get the most touchdowns. I actually wouldn't be blown away to see him come third in touchdowns and still finish with the most yards. You know, third and touchdowns behind yeah. Decker and Corey Davis. That wouldn't that wouldn't shock me. That wouldn't blow my mind.
2: I couldn't argue with that because I think these guys are going to be allowed to use their best tools in the most effective way they are on the field, and that's going to be what they're there for. You know, Decker's going to be a, a first down, red zone kind of guy. You know, you, you're going to have Davis as your deep shot. You're going to have uh, uh, Taylor. They're going to do all kinds of different things with him just working him loose and just getting him into space. And then, like, like you said, Matthews is that guy. He always finds a way to get open. And Marcus definitely trusts him.
1: I mean, I was, just think about down in the red zone. We line up on the five-yard line, and we've got Delaney, Decker, and Davis. And then Rashard Matthews is like the fourth guy they have to pay attention to, and he led the team in uh, touchdowns last year, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Uh-huh. Right, you're correct. Well, the one nice thing, too, is yeah. the Titans always seem like they get that one type and they stick with it. Like We either have, like, all big, athletic wide receivers that don't run good routes, don't have great hands, or we get, like, really small. You know, I think about, like, the Justin Hunter, DGB era, and then, like, Kenny Britt, and then, like, it's, like, all Kendall Wright and Harry Douglas. And, Calico. Like, like, yeah, yeah, you get, like, these real small guys. That it, if we, We're finally diverse. Like, we have... A little bit of everything right now. You know, that's obviously the goal. What you want is a little bit of everything, but it seems like we always get pigeonholed into one type of guy or another.
2: Yeah, it's a matchup league, and if you don't have variety, you can't get the matchups you're trying to win.
0: Perfectly stated. Charles Skafe asked this one. This is a really good question. It's maybe my favorite of the week. I really like this one. Do you anticipate the blocking schemes to change from a lot of max protection? Two, a lot less backs in the backfield, a lot more empty sets, three wide receiver kind of stuff.
1: No, no, please, I hope not. Uh, I love the fact that they were able to do what they were able to do while still providing solid blocking, not selling out on the pass game, still having the run game be a threat, um, and and letting Marcus use some of the play action and the bootleg stuff. Uh, I mean, I think power is still going to be this team's uh, calling card. You know, they are still exotic smash mouth, dude, line up grind them into the ground in the fourth quarter they're going to submit you know what was, what was the uh, saying last year uh, was it stomp the dead trample the weak or to stomp the strong trample the weak something like that was like an Hun quote I, I still think that's this team's calling card and it would be really disappointing to see if they just sold out and started playing like a Madden team and started running a whole bunch of spread stuff because then you're not getting the most out of Henry and out of uh out of out of nudity out of this, this offensive line, which is not an area-blocking offensive line. It's a hat-on-a-hat, hat, you know, manpower scheme. You know, we just want the wide receivers to be better than they were last year. We don't have to change things dramatically as far as X's and nose, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, we saw how well this passing game worked last year with admittedly limited receivers. We have a much better set where we can put them out there and create matchup problems and still run our base offense. You know it is a smash mouth team. You know the wheels on the bus go round and round. We all remember that from the Steelers with you know the bus. There's no reason we can't do that with Derrick Henry and do that with Demarco Murray. We just now we have some dynamic athletes on the outside who can get open, who can make plays for us, and that it takes advantage of that power run scheme because these other guys can do things for you when you do run those weird trick plays, which is the exotic part. You're, you're going to see. You know, these guys get open, get wide open because of the stuff that we're going to be running. And you don't have to run what we did last year, which was you you run a narrow set in the center of the field, and you have to cross the field to get deep. We don't have to cross the field to get deep anymore. We can just run deep now. So we have so many more options. I The empty backfield, I'm sure, will show up at some time because Rubisky likes to do some weird things sometimes. But if that becomes a staple of this team that we've all Vastly misunderstood what this coaching staff is about.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think obviously it'll, you'll see a little bit more than you did last year, just given the talent and given how much success Marcus has in that system. You know, going empty sets, but this—you you guys nailed it on the head. This is still a power running team. This is still a downhill running team. And you know, Benjamin, you put it really well. This offensive line excels when it's hat on a hat when it's man. When you start throwing zone at them, it's it, we're not going to be as effective. So why try to do it? Just you know, put a guy against the guy. Let's run forward. Let's do that. But uh, Glenn, you just it popped in my head when you were talking about this. I want to throw it out there real quick. I don't know if you guys saw the video or not, but you're talking about Robiski's weird plays. Delaney scored a touchdown. I believe it was today in practice where they did a read option fake, and obviously Marcus keeps it, starts running like it's a read option, like towards the. Towards the line of scrimmage which pulls the guy, you know, Delaney was playing on the outside, pulls the, the cornerback inside, pulls the safety in, and then last second, right before he gets to the line of scrimmage, Marcus pulled up and threw a screen pass out to Delaney and he just took off down the sideline and it was it was one of those plays where you're like you're you're like, Oh, that's kinda neat, but like please God, don't run that. I feel like there's so many plays and Benjamin, I don't know how you feel about it. I know Glenn's on my side, but there's so many plays that you're like why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And then it breaks wide open. You see a guy streaking down the sideline, you're like, all right, Rubisky's a genius. All right, I, like, like, I, I, I can't explain it. That play was yeah. dumb as shit, but it worked.
1: <laughs> well, that, the thing is, we, we, have, we finally have a coaching staff that can install those plays, teach it to the guys properly, and have it work every now and then in the game, as opposed to the previous coaching staff we've had, where they would throw that stuff in there, but it was always a disaster right from jump. I mean, whether it was Wizard Hunt, whether it was Munchak,
0: yeah, cough, you know, cough, even towards the end
1: of Fisher's era. I mean, like some of the, the bubble screens and, the, and some of the trick plays and deception stuff, they were just so bad at it. Whereas Munchak and Rubisky, or Malarkey and Rubisky, are you know, much more in tune with how to pull that kind of stuff off, how to slip it into the flow of the game, how to set it up and then come back to it. They're, they're just so much more skilled at it. It's like when we would try and run a screen game. And we were terrible at it. Dinger, God bless him, I love him, rest in peace, but he could not call a screen game consistently. And it would drive me nuts when we would play like the Eagles and watch Andy Reid run a screen game like clockwork, like to perfection. It'd be like, God, why can't we do that with like a Chris Johnson or, so, or somebody like that? Well, you don't have the coaching staff that understand how to
2: implement it. Absolutely. You know, Robinski, he, he's a lot trickier. Than I think I liked last season. Uh, the the beginning of the season, why they were just I, I don't know if they were just putting things on film so other teams would have to yeah, think about much. this. Yeah. You know, it, it felt a lot like that. Like man, you only read that play, so some other defensive coordinator will see that and go, "What the hell is that crap?" And you know, at least he'll it'll distract him from doing his job or something. Whereas this year, I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, a, a lot more straight up, coming right at your face uh, offense. With the exotic mixed right into the middle of it, so they're going to have that same formation. That's what I was trying to say. I, I think this year we're going to see a lot of those same formations. But we're going to do, we're going to, you know, like you said, we're going to run them better. They're going to be better coached. But also, by doing this, it, it lets us run those same formations and really get tricky with it. Uh, the the, th- the things you used to see with you know Cordell Stewart in Pittsburgh, they didn't run those out of weird formations. Those, those weren't out of odd sets it wasn't like you know loading up in the pistol that they weren't coming out there in an empty backfield or running the wildcat they ran those out of their basic formations and they just got really tricky with it and that's what i expect to see from the titans is the same formations just a dozen different plays from the same look
0: you're right there i mean the play i was talking about was shotgun with man set off to the left very common you know formation nothing weird about that the only weird thing would be, I guess, would be Delaney set off as the wide man on the outside. But we do that a lot with Delaney Walker, so it's not that you know, yeah. weird for us. It's, I always go back and forth though. Like is Robisky the mad scientist that's like sitting back there figuring out things and seeing if they work together, or is he more of the chess, the chess guy, uh, chess player? Like Glenn was saying that. You know, I'm going to throw out this on film because he's going to prepare for it, or I'm going to get them to believe we're doing this and open up the holes. I always go back and forth like, is he the mad scientist that I don't want, or is he the chess player that's a great coach? And I don't know. Last year, he was more he was right more than he was wrong, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and definitely right in the second half uh, more than he was wrong, which was one of the nice things to see. This team played a lot better in the second half, just about every single week, uh, than we'd seen in, in a couple of years before
0: absolutely you're 100 percent right there uh, one more question guys in the mailbag before we close it out and head on to the news George Richards uh sends this one in what do you expect the cornerback depth chart to look like week one? Oh man that's a that's a tough one I mean Logan Ryan is about the only
1: one you can just lock in uh at the top I mean after that I would love to see a Dory win a starting spot. I just don't think it's going to happen. Dick LeBeau is not a huge fan of rookies. Looking back over the course of his career, I mean, you know, he he doesn't put up with mental mistakes. That's what killed Paris Cox here. Uh, You know, he he doesn't put up with guys who are are just not going to follow through on the game plan and get to where he wants them to be on particular plays. That bodes well for LaShawn Tins. Like I said earlier, he's always close. If he can just get his head around a little closer, you know, fine-tune his instincts and get a little better. Uh, He'd be the kind of uh, big cornerback that Dick LeBeau absolutely loves. So I guess that's going to be my guess. But uh, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you guys think.
2: Not worried about what they're doing in training camp right now because the incumbent is always going to get the first look with Mike Malarkey, I believe, unless it's a situation where we know Corey Davis is going to end up being a starter here pretty quick. So he's going to get a lot of first-team reps. Then as training camp progresses, we'll see a better idea of what – they're uh, really going to do with their rotations. I, I still expect Logan Ryan, and if he can if he can hold the spot, I think Sims has got it. Uh, Matt boy Hurst, I think, is going to be in the mix. But you, you're going to see probably a fair amount of rotation with Sims. I think Hurst might you know work his way up there and challenge Sims for that spot. They're going to get a Dory Jackson on the field early and often. I just don't know what they're going to do with him for sure. If they're going to give him some just matchup-based reps on the outside, or if he's going to play the slot most of the time. Like like I keep saying, though, this whole team is about matchups and being able to handle different types of players. Like last year, we didn't have a player on the field who could run with Ted Ginn. He's not that good of a receiver. He drops as many balls as he catches. But if he catches the ball, he's gone because we couldn't run with the man. That's all it came down to. And I think Adoree Jackson is kind of an answer to that. You, know, you you now have a defensive back who's capable of turning and running with the fastest guy on the other team. So those are going to be his calling card games where, okay, it's you and that jackass over there. Go shut him down. You, you stay close to him. You stay within a step of him the entire game. Those will be a Dory Jackson's guaranteed play moments. And they're not going to worry so much about who's the starter as who matches up best with this other guy because – You know The Patriots, where Logan Ryan came from, that's what they do. They create matchups. They change their plan every week. I think this coaching staff, while not Bill Belichick level, has that in them where they do different things based on who they're playing instead of just going, we're going to come out here, we're going to run what we run better than everybody else because that old-school style of football just doesn't work as well in the NFL anymore.
0: Yeah, Glenn, evidently you got a good look at my notes because I almost wrote the exact same thing (laughs) as you. Yeah. It's going to be matched up base. It's going to be 100% match up base. You look at the, what we have right now, we have guys that can do different things. Last year it just felt like we had a team full of nickel corners. It just, a, just a whole goddamn team full of nickel corners. Now we have guys that can do different things. You know, Sims is going to play really well against big physical receivers because he has that physicality to him. He can mirror really well, he can get up. He's going to do well there. You know, when we have a guy like a Ted Ginn or a guy that just burns down the sideline you're going to have a Dory Jackson in your back pocket to throw out there. But if I was going to have to say, you know, top four guys going out, I, I think Logan Ryan's obvious, you know, like we were saying, like Benjamin said at the top of this question, I think Sims is going to be your other guy there. But I honestly think McCain's going to get more time on the field than a Dory Jackson is. And my my reason for this is a Dory Jackson right now is so raw. Uh, McCain's used to this system. McCain's, uh he's been in the system for a little bit. He he knows how to play it. Jackson doesn't, and Jackson's more raw. You know, I love Adoree Jackson, but I think it's going to take him a couple of years before we see his potential. And uh, so I think mm-hmm. we're going to see McCain on the field a little bit more just because he's more familiar with the system. And Dick LeBeau, like Benjamin said, he doesn't like starting rookies. But I i, st- I still think it's going to be a 100% matchup. Based. You're going to see – Logan Ryan starting to nickel in some games. You're gonna see Sims in one week he'll be starting C B one and the next week he'll be C B three. You're gonna see stuff switch often because it's always gonna be matched up based.
1: And I'm I'm telling you, man, when we run nickel and dime stuff, you're gonna see more three safety sets than we saw last year. We saw a little bit of it last year, but you know, I think they're gonna use they're gonna try and leverage that depth at safety to offset some of the the shallowness at the cornerback spot.
2: Yeah, I agree. We, when you were saying that earlier, I was thinking the same thing. It's like I don't see any reason why you don't put these three guys on there together. You know, you, you can drop Sip down. You can let Cersei and Bayard roam the back end of it. You can do whatever you want with these guys because they all have a decent enough skill set. Sip isn't going to get you a ton of interceptions, but he's capable of making the play, and he, he can definitely come down and you know cover on a tight end a little bit, mirror the uh, running back out of the backfield, so the linebackers can worry about getting to the quarterback there's definitely options to be had with this group because we do have three capable people back there at safety and you normally only use two or one. So you're going to see some different looking sets from them when our matchups on our, for our corners, like we have to use a Dory in order to keep up with this guy, but we need a safety to mirror him. So maybe you end up seeing an extra safety on the field just to help him out or just to help take care of the tight ends cuz they abused us so bad last year.
0: That was what I was exactly what I was going to say is those tight ends. I expect you to see a lot of that 3 safety set when we play teams with good tight ends. I think you're going to see sit be that, you know, tweener kind of guy that's, that everybody's calling it now that comes down, he plays in the box, you know, cuz he's so good at sniffing out the run. I mean, he is one of the best safeties, if not the best at sniffing out the run. So I think you're going to see him play a lot down in the box as, you know, the de facto other uh, inside linebacker. And and then you're going to see him cover cover, uh, tight ends on passing plays. You know, I I definitely expect to see that. As long as Andrew's healthy, I'll say that. I expect to see it against the Colts. I expect to see that against teams that have good tight ends. You know, Doyle's an up-and-coming guy. I expect to see a lot of that against that Colts game.
1: They don't even have to have good tight ends. We got eat up last year by C.J. Bedorowicz.
0: <laughs> You're not like, wrong. Case closed.
1: I mean, they needed major change covering tight ends. Dude. We've, we've been garbage at that since the mid-2000s. It doesn't matter who they brought in, what scheme they brought in. We have never been able to cover tight ends for some reason. This is the first offseason. I've really seen them make inroads, I think, at, at that aspect.
2: This is the first coaching staff I've seen identify a problem and draft the right players to fix it instead of just drafting more athletes and hoping that it'll work out for itself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Someone put a picture up the other day just reminded me of Tank Williams, and I was like, man, that's a guy I forgot about. <laughs> like, wow. Hell yeah,
1: Tank Williams, Lamont Thompson.
0: Right, right. There was just a guy, though, that as soon as I saw his picture, you know you know who he is, but you're like, wow, man, I haven't heard that name or seen that guy in a while. I forgot about him. And Yeah, and it is, it is, it's, we finally have, we have, you know, solid starters and great depth at safety. So I definitely think you're right, Benjamin. I think it's something you see a good bit of this season.
1: Keith Bullock was really the last guy we had with the physical ability to do that, but teams recognize it and they would just line up or move their, or motion their tight end away from him.
2: Yeah. When there's only one guy on the field capable of doing anything about what you're going to do, you just go the other way or else you overload right in his face. You know, be, yeah, and then all of a sudden we got easy.
1: five foot six Stephen Tullock
0: out there trying to get in. <laughs> Thanks everybody that wrote into the mailbag though. as each and every week, as I always say, you can find it on our Facebook page, Two Tone Uncensored on Facebook, or we always share it in the two tone uncensored Facebook fan page. Uh, so definitely if you want to hear your question answered on the show, that's where you can find it each and every week. Let's jump into the news, guys. This was our favorite news story last week, talking about Sebastian Tritola. Uh Obviously, this week was released. So, Benjamin, before we jump into like the, the nuances of this, we have a theory on the show, and I want to see how much you agree with this theory. Uh, what we know about the Traitola incident is he had a, a grazing gun wound where the bullet grazed his leg and his ankle, and that he went to the hospital, he was released, he was okay, then the team releases him. Our theory is mm-hmm. it, it yeah. very could possibly be a self-shooting incident, an accident yeah. where he accidentally shot was, sounds like you agree.
1: I, I 100% – I was just about to say that. As soon as I saw the description of the thing, he's like, oh, he shot himself. And, I mean, yo, know, you can't be one of those dudes on a team that's trying to completely rebuild its culture. That took huge strides in that last year, just as much as anything else. They changed the character and the culture in that locker room. Uh, you can't have dudes who just end up in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, you know, more than once in the in the offseason, especially when it's a sixth or, or seventh guy on your offensive line like Seabass. Uh, you know, I hate to see him go, but between the, the, the bar fight with Tajay where he was apparently the lookout, and then, uh, you know, this self-inflicted gunshot wound, it's easier just to cut bait and focus on the guys who are going to stick around and do the right thing.
2: Yeah, well, yeah last, he definitely
1: last... shot himself.
2: <laughs> yeah, last week I dubbed him Cheddar Bob and, you know, sort started... of, you know, presenting my case. And then Ryan started thinking about this and he, he's fully on board, you know, Ch- cheddar, Bob shot his damn self because it, it, the only two questions are either he shot himself on two possibilities. He shot himself or else he grabbed somebody's gun and held it down against his leg. And then they pulled the trigger. But you know what, as Ryan said last week, there's no way that this is somebody shot him. And it's this quiet. You don't hear anything about a police report you know, as far as suspects, you know, possibly identified this man. He shot himself. And there's only reason why it's that quiet. There's nothing else going on.
0: Right. Last week we were talking about it, and me and yeah. me and Glenn were were on the same page. Like as soon as we started, you were like, "Yeah, he shot himself." And Matt was like, at first he was like, "Well, I don't know." And then when we laid out like our argument, Matt's like, "You guys completely changed my mind. I didn't even think about this as a possibility." And but you know, like I said last week, and and Glenn touched on it. If someone shoots me. I'm telling everybody that listen. I'm mean, that guy shot me. You know he shot me. He needs to be in jail. He needs to be away for me. Obviously, if I shoot myself, I'm taking that to the grave. I'm not telling anybody about that. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, you haven't heard anything really besides like the stuff I said earlier, and I, it really points. Not only does you know where it grazed him, the foot or the leg and the ankle, but also that we haven't heard anything about it at all except for you know, a grazing of a bullet occurred to a player. Those two things together, like, yeah, I agree with you, Benjamin. It's, it's, I think it's obviously a self-inflicted wound.
1: Yeah, and it stinks. I mean, I wish the best for him. I was excited when we drafted him. He's a really charismatic guy, good interview. And I think he's got some upside as, as a run-blocking, you know, kind of reserve swingman uh, type guard center backup dude in the NFL, but just not worth the headache for a team that's, you know, really trying to, to – to solidify what it started last year you know you can't start making exceptions this quickly
2: did did he get claimed off of waivers
0: yeah i checked earlier today and no but i haven't checked since then, so See, and,
2: and that's what i was that's what i was thinking is he's not going to get claimed off of waivers until he can explain how he got shot and if he shot himself he's not gonna get claimed off of waivers i don't think he gets picked up i i, I really hope for his case that this was him grabbing somebody's gun and slapping it down to his leg to try to keep them from shooting somebody else and he was being a hero and just won't talk about it. That would be the best scenario for him possible. I really believe he shot himself and no team will deal with somebody who's shooting themselves. He's not Plexico Burrs. He's not even good yet. He's a one-trick pony at this point and he couldn't get on the field. There's no way he gets signed if he shot himself at this point.
0: Glenn, I was gonna say I think you're being too optimistic here. I think the best case scenario for him is it was a low caliber. <laughs> I think that's the best <laughs> case scenario for him. Yeah, <laughs> but like Benjamin said, like he's involved in one incident, which they tried to cover up, and then came back and said that they, you know, it was they did do it. It was a part of it, and then you know they obviously, like Benjamin said, they they still have the civil suit open, and then this comes for you can't deal with that. From a guy that's going to be your depth at guard. That's all he is, and he is, just like Glenn said, a one-trick pony. He's a great run blocker. He can't block against the pass very well. You're not going to save that guy. You're not going to defend his actions and keep him on your team when he's that much of a distraction in the offseason. And, you know, like I said last week, you get a leash, and the better you are, the longer your leash is in the NFL. The more you can get away with. His leash was short, and, you know, he choked himself with it. Let's move on to the next one here. It's something that we've already obviously covered a little bit, but Corey Davis looked like a holdout for a while. You know, looked like he was gonna miss maybe some time and then the deal got done pretty quickly after camp started uh, and he ended up getting signed to the last of the two thousand seventeen draft to sign. And he you know, he's obviously out there running around like we were talking about earlier, getting some of this training camp. What did you think about that guys?
1: Dude, I will just say it's the weirdest thing in the world to me how the Titans have this habit of having their first-round picks be like some of the last guys in the NFL to sign. The, the reason it's so weird is, you know, like you hit on earlier, a lot of it has to do with offset stuff, has to do with certain exclusions, some of the nitty-gritty stuff because there's not really that much flexibility in the, in the rookie contract anymore. But this transcends ownership groups, it transcends GM groups, and it transcends coaching staffs. If you look at Reinfeld, Webster, and, uh, and now John Robinson, they've all had it happen. If you look at Tommy Smith running, or Bud Adams running things, Tommy Smith running things, and now Amy Adams shrunk, same story. You know, whether it's uh, Jeff Fisher, uh, Munchak, uh, Malarkey, or Wizenhunt, same story. You know, whether it was Kendall Wright, I think Chance got in early. Just about everybody else, though, has been right up to the cusp. Some of them have even missed a day or two of training camp. And it's just baffling me because there's just not that much to negotiate. So, overall, I'm very happy they got it done. Not a big deal. But uh, it still continues to be a head-scratcher.
2: Yeah, but as, as long as it didn't last you know, past like the first day or two of it when it's like, obviously, you need to be here and be on the field because this team is not going to put up with your shit if you don't. I, I think that we see less and less of that. A, a number five pick, wide receiver, I expect some diva-ish from so. You know, OK, if like Joey Bosa, he should have damn signed and just got on the field already. But it, again, it was just the San Diego Chargers are jerks about not wanting to pay people all their money their first year. I, I do really wonder what. It's got to be something in the Adams family because they're the only consistent thing there, you know, because it's not just Amy Adams. like you said, this, this has been going on for a long time with this team. So. Maybe there's something about the way the Adams family does business that just doesn't rub the players the right way.
0: We've talked to some players, and, and you know, we've uh, I've heard in interviews before. Bud Adams is, is known as a tough negotiator. You know, sometimes he would, you know, lease the farm to go out there and and find that guy that he wanted. But for the most part, he was a pretty tough negotiator, and he was going to get the dollar amount that he wanted or very close to. And I wonder if, you know, just like you said, Glenn, it's the only consistent part. You know, we're talking about a GM in his second year, a head coach in his second year. So the Adams family is the only consistent part. And I wonder if Amy's has that same mentality. And, you know, I mean, being her, the daughter of, you would have to have a lot of similarities with your father and, and seeing how he operated. And so I wonder if that was part of it as well, is just... They were tough negotiators, and they were going to try as hard as they could to get exactly what they wanted.
1: I mean, about the only commonality through all of these different situations. And, you know, sometimes he's a formal advisor. Sometimes he's an informal advisor. But Steve Underwood, just about the only guy that's, that's sort of been around for all of these and who has a heavy say in, in sort of some of these negotiations. So, hey, man, he signed. He's here. He's in camp. He's out there doing, doing good stuff already, getting some rhythm with Marcus. So that's what's most important
2: absolutely agreed
0: yeah you're right there for sure Um, one more piece of news obviously we talked about this earlier as well but Kevin Dodd healthy and on the field we heard uh, Tyler's take on it earlier about how he's you know performing and stuff so I was going to ask you this guys what's like the bare minimum that Kevin Dodd can do this year that you think right, you know bust is unfair and he's coming back next year it's obvious Ooh.
1: I mean, I think he's coming back next year kind of no matter what, just as they invested a high enough pick in then and this is just his second year. Uh, but, I mean, I, w- I would like to see at least six sacks out of him and to play in probably 14 of the 16 games. I mean, that's what I'm expecting from him to really make up for last year.
2: Yeah, I'd, unless he just gets another little small nagging injury and just drags that out through the whole season, I don't see any way that they don't bring him back. He'd have to do something stupid to get himself not here next year. So he'll be here next year. I, I need him to show me that he's going to be the heir apparent for Morgan. Uh, he, he needs to show me some ability on the field, not just you know college tapes and not just not, non-padded practices. I want to see what he can do on the field against live opponents. And he needs to show this year that he's – Going to be able to be the replacement for Derek Morgan here in a couple of years, so that they don't draft his replacement next year. That that's, I think that's his challenge this year is prove that they don't need another outside linebacker to replace him too.
0: I think you guys are right with the, the right on point with the um, you know he's going to be here next year unless something well unless he pulls a, a Trey Tola he's going to be here next year uh, without a shadow of a doubt. But yeah, I mean I'm going a little bit under. Uh, what Benjamin said, if he, you know, he has four sacks. If he's productive, I still think 14 out of 16 that he plays in those. That's fair, but I want to see him be at least consistent. You know, I'm okay if he doesn't get those six sacks, as long as he's providing pressure. Walden, the signing of Eric Walden, you know that also adds some complications to it because it's gonna it's gonna cut into his time at least a little bit of how much he's on the field. So you know, as long as he's out there, he's playing consistently. I don't question Dodd on the field. And I think you guys would agree with this. I don't question his ability to play. I question what's going on upstairs. So, as long as I see him out there, you know, giving that effort, being part of this football team, improving himself, that's, I mean, that's all you can really ask for. You can't be really mad at improvement. I want to see him out there, and I want to see where his mind's at. All right, Ben, before we hop off here, we had some questions, stuff that we've talked about on the show and we've answered just to get your opinion on a few questions here. What's the camp battle that you're most excited for? Ooh, Probably what's going on in the
1: secondary. And I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a, a battle that proves it out or settles itself out as one, two, three, four. But can these guys, with the mishmash of skills that they have, can they all kind of find their way to excel? You know, I think that's going to be the key because we're, we're, not going to have, we're not going to have a situation where you know, it's Logan and it's Adory or it's Logan and it's Sims or McCain or whoever on the other side, and those are the two dudes that are out there on the side all the time. And same guy in the nickel all the time. The same safety is out there all the time. And it's going to be sort of package dependent, and sometimes that can be tricky for, uh, for NFL guys on offense or on defense to think of it more as playing a role instead of playing a position.
2: Yeah, that, that will be the challenge is their mental approach to it and how will the coaches make sure that they understand, you know, this is what you're here to do, this is the situations that we need you to go out and excel in, make the most of these moments, and you can, you know, you can be the star that you want to be. If you don't go out there and make the most of these moments, then you won't even see the field anymore, so it won't be an issue. So they, they have to accept that being on the field all the time is less important than excelling when they are on the field
0: absolutely well put guys <clears throat> which rookie are you most excited to see on the field
1: true i mean i think it's a pretty exciting class i like who a lot um know, yeah, i like muhammad the little uh the little fast running back that we got but i mean corey Davis. Dude, i mean one of the one of the highest i think the highest we've ever taken a wide receiver the guy who had an unreal college career you know the uh the, the sky's the absolute limit for him. I'm excited to see what he can do, especially with a quarterback like Marcus, who can uh, make wide receivers look even better than they kind of normally do.
2: Yep, right there.
0: Yeah, a guy like Corey Davis. Going in, you know, I got to see him play. And, Ben, I know you don't know this, but I'm at Ohio University. I got to see him play last year, and I wasn't overly impressed. I felt like a lot of it was competition. But now I've been watching a little bit more tape, and – I've been trying to open myself up to the, you know my opinion changing and and watching him in training camp and stuff and obviously like you said earlier training camp lends to make him look better than he actually is and we'll have to see how he how he handles you know um, pressure and man coverage and stuff like that but I'm starting to change my tune a little bit I'm I am pretty excited about Cordy Davis and I'm getting more and more on the the Davis bandwagon I'm not there yet but you know I'm flirting with it right now you're there. I'm not there yet, you're uh, there. What dark horse player on the team do you think has a good has the best shot of making the team? What's that guy that's you know buried but you think could make a run for it?
1: Oh man, I don't know. That's kind of tough because if you look at this roster, there's not really a whole lot of dark horse guys. I mean, this is the first time since probably about 2008, 2010 era. when I think we have so much talent in training camp, we're going to have to cut guys who end up playing significant roles somewhere else just because of the sheer amount of talent that we have. I mean, you know, you think back to when we cut, you know, when we cut Jack Doyle, for example, when we cut, uh, uh, oh, man, the nose tackle that ended up going to uh, to Indianapolis. I've got Booger McFarlane stuck in my head, and that's not it. <laughs> no,
2: uh, but, not you
1: it. know, back to those years when, uh, but, you know, we, like I said, we're going to let go of guys who catch on elsewhere uh, and end up doing something. So, I mean, I – I don't know if I could really pick one necessarily. Maybe. It's um, uh, the tight end we got from the Jets last year.
2: I'll say something on like his name. Jason Morrow.
1: Jason Yep. Yeah, Jason Morrow. Uh, you know, I mean, he's a guy that I think it's a classic almost sort of redraft thing that you see in a lot of different sports. He, uh, he started out really nicely with the Jets. He was a high draft pick and then ended up just kind of washing out as, as the regime changed over there. I'd like to see him contribute more this year. With the turnover that we've had at that position, I'm not. I'm not a Supernaw fan.
2: Yeah, n- none of us on this show are. Ryan was a big fan of the Amaro signing. I'm kind of on the fence. I'm with you. I want to see him do more, but mostly just so he can push Supernaw off the roster. That's my main concern with him.
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I definitely was. I was big on the Amaro, but you know, me and Glenn are both Big Twelve guys, and and I got to see a lot of Amaro in college, and I was very impressed. I thought that he. Did more for his quarterbacks than his quarterbacks did for him most of the time. I was very impressed with what I saw from him. And, you know, that's, that's not my team. I'm a West Virginia fan. But, you know, at the time, the best we had the best defense in the Big 12. And, you know, he cut us up. He did a good job against us. And, and I was really impressed by him. And I watched him, after that game, Watched the rest of the season almost with him. Because I was really impressed. But, yeah, he has... I guess, like, his game's just not translating well or, or whatever the reason is. He's not been impressive so far. In his, I mean, if the Jets are cutting you, it's not looking good for your career, bud.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, not so much because it's all about the purge with the Jets. They're just trying to lose as many games as they can.
0: Right, this year. But last year, you know, they still thought they had something in Fitz Magic. But, um Oh, yeah. You know, I, I would like to see Amaro play well enough. I'm not saying they should just like give him the spot. I'd like to see him play well enough to kick Supernaw off, just like you guys. But, I mean, we'll have to see about that. He's not a great blocker, so I yeah. think Supernall makes a team still. That's about all we have for you, Ben. And for everybody that was listening to the show earlier, uh, Benjamin is a member of RPO, which is another Titans podcast. Benjamin, for those who want to follow RPO or want to find you, where do they find you and where do they find the show? Yeah, RPO stands for Run Past Opinion. You can
1: find us at runpastopinion.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. We're at Twitter at The RPO Pod. You can find me on Twitter at RPO Benjamin, And then my co-hosts are Matt Neely and uh, Brandon. And, yeah, we do uh, – like, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus through July. I've been, you know, I've been doing a podcast for the Titans going back to NCM Radio since, like, 2009. And July is just absolute death. So now that we went kind of independent, decided to sort of take a big break in July, so we can come back fully charged. We're going to take sort of things back up uh, this week, actually later this week, and we'll be back to doing you know uh, at least one show, probably two shows per week. I hope you guys will check it out. You know we like to have a lot of fun, have some laughs, and talk some really good Titan stuff in there. Matt Neely's from the Titan subreddit. He does a lot of the mean stuff that's on there. Uh, he's awesome, and Brandon's been great since uh, he he joined me on MCM Radio last year. So help us uh, have some fun with this kind of independent venture over at uh, runpastopinion.com. And thank you guys so much for having me on. Thank uh, you
0: for being here, man. Absolutely. All right, thanks again for Benjamin, Scott, for coming on to the show with us. Obviously, uh, a really great our co-host to have on. But, guys, before we jump out of here, make sure you're following us on Twitter. You can find the show at ttupodcast.com you can find me at the ryan morland glenn yours is i can't remember what's yours glenn two
2: the number two tone hollywood
0: and it had hollywood in it that's all i can remember there you (laughs) go um give us a a good rating too man we we ask for that every now and again whatever however you listen to us you know give us a five star rating on that whatever app it is or however you listen we definitely appreciate it and it, it helps the show grow So if you like the show, give us a good rating. The raffle's still going on. It's coming to its conclusion pretty soon. This is going to be a couple more weeks, uh, and it's over. So if you want to try to win those uh, Week 9 tickets to go see uh, the Tennessee Titans take on the Baltimore Ravens, also you can win uh, some other great prizes, a spot in uh, our Fantasy Football League uh, for the main TTU Fantasy Football League you can win a chance to come on the show and give your predictions for the start of the season, your season predictions. You can also win a shout out on the show. So definitely those tickets are just two bucks a pop. Go find them on our website, which is www.ttupodcast.com. And you'll find the store right there in the, in the menu and, and go on there and buy some tickets also. But again, as I say each and every week, Thanks to my awesome co-host. Matt couldn't be on the night. Glenn, it's always a always good time. Here. Yeah, always here, always a good time. Thanks a lot for Benjamin Scott for coming on the show with us. Thanks a lot to Tyler Mustin for being our reporter on the scene. We'll be back next week on Wednesday. Tighten up. Tighten up. Podbean. <laughs>
3: Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at Uncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.